right, now we got a reporter for you guys who tricks the right wing into revealing the truth by being white. Okay, I'm exaggerating, I'm partly kidding, but as you'll see, not exactly. Okay, so Lauren Windsor's with us. She's the executive producer of The Undercurrent. We've given her credit in the past on shows for being one of the best reporters in getting the Republicans to reveal amazing things. So, Lauren, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Jake. No problem. So, look, you're, you're, you, you don't hide you who you are in your real life, right? Yeah, you say that uh, you know you're an advocacy journalist and and even a political consultant, etc. But uh, we're going to show a couple of amazing videos here, including Mo Brooks admitting the most important thing in politics of my lifetime. Okay, so how do you get them to trust you? And sometimes it's just you put a camera up and they say it, right? But a lot of other times they're like, "Oh, okay, Lord Wizard, I can't wait to tell you all of my secrets. How do you do it? I mean, I think it's just human nature that people like to have you know praise heaped on them. So if you speak to someone as though you're really a fan of what they're doing, they are often such a target of hatred that, you know, it's a relief to hear appreciation, and they will often reward you. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, sometimes I look at tweets that are complimentary of me, and I'm like, are they trying to Windsor me? So, Lauren, now to my original point slash joke. Is it also partly because you? seem like a person that would be on their side and that maybe gets them to open up? Well, yeah, I mean, I definitely play the role. Um, you know, everyone wants to believe, and this is the thing about politics is that uh, that's different from Hollywood or, you know, being a celebrity in some other sense is that in politics, you're constantly trying to bring more people into the fold, right? Recruit more allies. Whereas if you're a famous person, yeah, you need to like sell a new CD or you know get people to go to your movie. But um, you know you're, you don't have to sit there and convince each person to do it. Like the fans who are showing up already love you, right? But you could have a a lot of every vote matters as a politician, and so. You know, it's just not as exclusive. It's so much harder to gain fans, and so I just think that for politicians, if if they see an easy target, particularly young young voters, to bring into the fold, it ends up paying off dividends in the long run if they give them just a little bit of like water. You know, like a plant. You know, you're you're like harvesting the crops for the future. Yeah, indeed, and a lot of them are Republican men. Let's also keep it real on that too. Yeah. So, <laughs> okay, it is what it is. But now let's get to the important things that your reporting has revealed. And there are a lot of doozies in here. We're gonna focus on two, but there's so much more. Everybody check out the undercurrent. So one's about John Eastman. You've got him on tape admitting something very important. But first, can you tell the audience who John Eastman is? So John Eastman is the attorney who wrote the infamous coup memo, which basically encouraged states to put forward alternate slates of electors. So in this first set of clips, 
uh, our first reporting on John Eastman, we spoke with him shortly after he had given uh, an interview to the National Review Online where he had walked away from that memo. He said, you know, Nobody believes that that was a real thing. You'd be crazy to believe it could happen. And uh, it was just something that we put together as like a hypothetical. But then, you know, within a week's time, uh, finding him at this uh, Claremont Gala where he's a senior fellow, um, you know, started telling him how much we were uh, fans of his work, that we had uh, watched his speech at the uh, January 6th rally, and we were inspired to be supporters of Claremont, and he started to sing a different tune. So now, guys, remember, this is a memo that I talk about uh, a lot on the show. Uh, so this is where they get the fake electors to replace the real electors. That's actually at the heart of the coup. The reason that he's disowning it in public is because that's actual insurrection. and. If the Democrats had any strength at all, they would have actually put people like John Eastman in, in jail for trying to literally steal our democracy. It's This is, in my opinion, the worst of the worst. So now watch the tape as Mr. Of, that memo, I don't know who wrote that memo, okay, turns around in the exact opposite direction. Because the memo was trying to get Mike Pence to say the real electors should not be seated. And we should go to the fake electors, but Pence didn't listen. And now let's pick it up. Like, you know, just supporter to supporter. Like, why do you think that Mike Pence didn't do it? Well, because Mike Pence is an establishment guy at the end of the day. And all of the establishment Republicans in DC bought into this very myopic view that Trump was destroying the Republican Party. And what Trump was doing is destroying the inside the Beltway Republican Party. And reviving the Republican Party in the hinterland, right? I think that's so important because here's a guy who's publicly saying, "Oh, we weren't trying to get Mike Pence to overturn the election. That's crazy." Now here he is on tape saying, "Ah, oh, yeah, we could have done it if it wasn't for that damn Pence because he's an establishment guy." I, I did. The, I'm going to ask you a question that I. There's no chance this happened, but in. In a situation where there's sanity in the world, prosecutors would be looking into John Eastman, Peter Navarro, Steve Bannon for this for this strategy, and you have important evidence there. Did any prosecutor ever ask you to see that tape? No one's reached out to me about it. I, you know, have been told from other politicos that they think that it's you know being used as evidence for the. For the committee, but I haven't been reached out by anyone directly. Okay, yeah, but the committee has no power. It's I'm not interested in the committee. I'm interested in prosecutors who would actually set a precedent that you're not allowed to do a coup in America. That that would be that's what we're looking for. And you were very helpful in getting that important evidence to it. So of course, no prosecutors talk to you. All right, so now let's go to how politics actually works. So this is a mobile. You're not cynical at all, Jing. Not cynical at all. No, no, not at all. Uh, Democrats are going to fight hard for you, and the Republicans care about the rule of law. Okay, uh, so um, Mo Brooks is a very conservative Republican from Alabama. Uh, he was in good with Donald Trump, and he was he even gave a speech on January 6, but with a flak jacket on because he knew that he was speaking to a violent mob that was probably going to kill people. Anyways. But Trump has now disavowed him. 
etc. But here, he, he's giving a speech. Who's he giving a speech to, Lauren? Well, so this is just to supporters in Alabama. So he's running for for Senate in Alabama for Richard Shelby's seat. And it should be noted that um, the reason that uh, we went to the Mo Brooks event was because Mo Brooks led the uh, charge to challenge the Electoral College in the House. And so for folks that aren't quite aware of the significance of that, um, prior to uh, Tommy Tuberville, uh, my reporting uh, showing that Tommy Tuberville was going to challenge the Electoral College, everyone in DC thought that, um, oh, this is just Mo Brooks and the crazy house right wingers, uh, you know, saying they're gonna challenge the Electoral College. It's not really gonna happen because it's not gonna go anywhere in the Senate. And so, you know, we were looking to uh, uncover evidence, uh, you know, any sort of context to Mo Brooks thinking about why he launched his challenge to the Electoral College. But in so doing, um, you know, during his speech to this handful of voters, it was a very small crowd uh, because of uh, Trump pulling the endorsement. Um, uh, you know, he I think became a lot more candid because uh, he realizes that he's in the fight of his life. And could anybody have walked into this event? Yeah, anyone could have. Okay, so you guys just were smart enough to think. I bet he says something stupid. Uh, okay, but in but in this case, to be fair to Mo Brooks, he didn't say something stupid. He said something true. So let's watch. So where does a congressman come up with a million dollars? to be chairman of one of these A committees. You can't get it from Joe and Jane Citizen because Joe and Jane Citizen back home, they're not gonna be contributing that kind of money. You have to get it from the special interest groups. And with the special interest groups, there is a quid pro quo. If you don't do what they tell you to do, they won't give you the money that finances your chairmanship. Lauren, that's the most true thing I've heard a, a, a politician say, any politician, Republican or Democrat, in my lifetime. There is literally, these are legalized bribes. That's the only way to get the chairmanships. He explained it there. It's, I thought it was super telling that no politician has ever admitted that and no reporter has ever asked. So now my question what? to you, and, and, and I genuinely don't know the answer to this. Um, did other reporters look at that and go, wow, Lauren, you got this amazing tape. Can you come on and talk about how there's systematic and systemic corruption in, in American government? Well, I, you know, on Twitter, uh, you know, several, I think, commented on it. Um, but when I reached out to people and we talked about it, um, the general feeling was like, oh, well, that's, you know, that's known. That's just the way that Washington operates. And I just remember being so struck. I mean, I came out of um, you know uh, the money in politics, like getting money out of politics movement uh, in LA uh, after uh, the, the Occupy movement. And his candor just really struck me. And it, even if it had been reported before, I thought, well, this is a really good breakdown of things that people who don't live inside the Beltway, uh, you know. I think they'd want to know this, and so when I put it out, uh, it actually, you know, print went fairly viral. I mean, I think at this point, uh, last time I checked, it had over five hundred thousand views. I'm not sure where it's at now, but um, you know, I didn't have any reporters reach out to me. People acted like it was kind of a de rigueur for DC. 
Um, but online, people definitely had reactions as to, wow, this is not something I knew before, and why aren't more people reporting on this? No, because you're doing, in a sense, true reporting, where you're getting actual information to people about how government works. That's why I knew no other reporter would cover it. Like, for all I knew, you were going to say, "Oh my God, Rachel Maddow had me on her show," and then Chris Hayes, and then every, and the New York Times wrote about it, and then Washington Post did an expose, etc. I didn't know the answer, okay? But as it turns out, of course, none of that happened, and the explanation is super ironic. Oh well, everybody knows that. How would everybody know that if you've never reported on it? And if when I googled it online, Jink, I'm telling you, the only thing that came up was like a Brookings a Brookings Institute article on their website that showed, you know, that these committee chairmanships were, you know, it's not just a Republican thing; it's it's both parties actually. Hundred percent right. That's right. Require you to fundraise in order to get those key placements. Yeah. And the reporters say we all know it, yet your Google search, and anybody can do this, shows that they've never report on it. Wow, isn't that super weird? That all the reporters in Washington know about massive corruption in in politics, they think it's perfectly normal and lovely, and they never tell you guys. Well, I guess that's why you gotta check out Undercurrent, because she's actually showing you that they're saying it with their own faces. <laughs> that's a that's a Politician, that's the first time I've seen a politician be honest. Okay, so <laughs> I give Mo Brooks credit for that. We're a fair show. Okay, so uh, Lauren Windsor, amazing job. Keep it going, okay? Thank you so much, Jake. No problem. All right, now we're gonna talk to a candidate who is best known for being a stripper. We're gonna have to talk about that. But in Washington, she's something that is considered far more outrageous, a progressive. Okay, Alexandra Hunt. Running for Congress in Pennsylvania's third district. Uh, welcome to the show. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing well. I, I, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Alexandria, look, a, a lot of people are talking about the stripper angle, right? Uh, at this point, you got to be super sick of it, is my guess. The elections in 11 days. At the same time, it brought you a ton of attention that most progressive candidates don't get, right? Most progressive candidates uh, have their campaign die. From complete inattention from the media, so it's a mixed blessing or a silver lining. So my question is: Are you glad that you talked about it? Are you glad that it got covered, or are you so sick of it that it that it overshadowed everything else and was counterproductive? I don't think it was counterproductive at all. I think that it. It has been important that I talk about my experience as a working as a stripper and that I've led with all the pieces of my story that make me who I am today so that people can understand where I come from and how I'm going to move in if elected and when elected to office. So I I do not regret speaking on it at all. That, that doesn't mean that it's been easy, it's been hard, it's been tiring. To, to go up against an incumbent and to go up against stigma as well. And that's made, I think, our campaign trail much more difficult to navigate. But I think it was an important thing to do. And so absolutely no regrets of doing that. Yeah, so let me ask you one standard question, then we'll get back into politics. Um, so I know the old school way of thinking. Like my parents uh, are from the old country and they would say, she is such smart girl, why she do that? Okay, so 
why did you do that back in the day? Uh, people want to know, but I, I, I'm dying to answer it for you. But I'm asking you a question, so I'm gonna let you answer. Well, people have all different sorts of reasons for getting involved in in the club or or the sex work scene. And for me, it was I needed money. I at the time I was in college and I didn't have a ton of hours to work. I couldn't get a full time job, but uh, I had bills to pay and I was working at the on campus restaurant and it just <laughs> getting tips from other college students was not paying my bills. And I had heard that you could make a lot of money at a strip club. So I went to one and I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna jump into this world and see how it goes. And the the rest is history. Yep. So Alexandra, now let's talk politics because in the in the Democratic circles, being a progressive is far more outrageous, right? And mm -hmm. so I just ask Nina Turner how the press treats you if you're a progressive, right? Or me or Bernie or anyone else. So uh, and you're running against an incumbent, which they despise. Uh, so how, how's the race going? How have you been received uh, by all quarters? Um, you know, the press, uh, the Democratic Party, the voters will find out about, it, but press and the Democratic Party, ma'am. Uh, the, well, the, the press has been very fascinated with the, the former stripper aspect of my past uh, and has, has uh, really honed in on that. The the right wing media has totally dragged my name through their discourse uh, for having an abortion and speaking to that. And then, as for the Democratic Party, uh, they they can't stand when I show up in a room. To, today, I was at a PA Dems uh, rally for pro choice, and as I said, I've had an abortion. I've been on Fox News for talking about having an abortion. The Democratic Party does not embrace me or my lived experiences as a candidate and what I could offer that into the conversation that's happening at the table and in, in these rooms right now. Uh, and the, it's even worse with the Philadelphia Democrats. So um, the, I wouldn't, people have asked, has the DCCC reached out to help at all? And <laughs> absolutely not, have not heard from them. No, no, you're running against an incumbent. If the DCCC reached out, it'd be with a two by four. So no, you don't want them reaching out. And I'm not surprised that the Democratic Party is the most judgmental and the most negative about all of this. Um, so it's that's why we're trying to change the Democratic Party. Um, so uh, what's What's your main argument against the incumbent? Because the mainstream media will say, well, you're a progressive, but you know, Jim Jablowski, I'm sure he takes tons of corporate cash, but and probably, you know, if push came to shove, would vote the wrong way. But oh, we're gonna call him progressive too. So why not him? Uh Dwight Evans? Yeah. Yeah. Um well, so I really think of Dwight Evans. He he's an old school politician, and that he still tries to lead with that that type of politics, and it's just not fitting to the urgency and the need of this current time, where there is a lot of crisis, 
across the country and a lot of crisis here in Philadelphia. And so I really think of uh, Representative Evans as representing the status quo and complacency. And that isn't what we need right now. And we are not in a position to be able to send back representatives who are just going to comfortably sit in a seat uh, and not fight for everyday people. So Alexandra, I've been calling you a progressive because you know, you're for Medicare for all and $15 minimum wage and all those progressive positions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, but what would be the difference if you went in? Because most incumbents, you're right, including Dwight Evans, who no one has ever heard of on the national scene because he probably took the seat and then warmed that seat up for decades, right? I don't know anything about him because he never does anything. Never, ever, ever, never heard of him. He's never fought on anything, totally useless on the national scene, right? So what would you do differently? Well, I mean, I I would fight for things. I, I am not headed to Congress to make friends and to sit comfortably in a seat. I honor the my words and my platform that I'm running on. So for example, my opponent does not support the Green New Deal because he's personally invested in the fossil fuel industry. Uh, He doesn't support universal healthcare because he takes money from private health insurance companies. I'm running on what we call a New Deal for Education, which is the calling for the federal, federal funds to be invested into public education, as well as the cancellation of student debt and tuition free public college. My opponent was in the state house first, and he defunded public education, founded his own charter school, and takes money from my personal student loan provider. He's tough on crime, takes money from private prisons, and believes in broken window policing, and also is personally invested in weapons manufacturing manufacturers. Whereas I'm running on criminal justice reform and pushing for more rehabilitation through that system. So it, it's a, I, I believe I'm running on a compassionate platform that's fighting to put compassion into government. Whereas, as I said, he's complacent with the status quo, which is really take money from corporations and sit comfortably in a seat. Did you say save money from private prison companies? Yep. And this district's in Philly, where criminal justice reform is desperately needed and now with Actually, the uh, the prosecutor there, you're finally getting some criminal justice reform. But in Philly, in that district, he's taking money from private prisons to lock people up for profit. Yep. And Democrats in the media think that you have morality issues? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, uh, do you take any corporate PAC money? No. Okay, by the way, the website is Alexandra mhunt.com, alexandramhunt.com. We'll put the link down below in the description box. Now, Alexandra, look, let's keep it real. You stripped your clothes for money, but he is stripping his principles for money. What do you think is worse? Well, I obviously think that being a, a what I will change my language here, uh, but one of our merchandise items says I may have danced for money, but I'm no corporate uh, leap. Uh, and so I obviously think that taking corporate money is is far worse in morals and, and selling out the, your constituents is far worse yeah. than taking your clothes off. And guys, I'm just saying it that way to make a point. I don't think there's anything wrong with stripping. So what, so what? Who cares, who cares? How does that bother anyone? 
it, like the idea that that's immoral is like just so stupid and old school for no reason, okay? In ram but Alexandra, if you did take corporate PAC money, do you think they'd be giving it to you just for their health, for the general welfare? Or do you think that if you took money from defense contractors and oil companies and drug companies like your opponent does, that they might ask for a favor in return? Oh, Absolutely, and that's what they got out of my opponent, but they won't get it from me. Okay, so now, now, since he is an incumbent, he's going to have a massive advantage, okay? So strategically, how do you overcome that advantage and win this election? I think people underestimate how betrayed people feel by him in, in, in the district. And so it's really, we're being very well received and it's a matter of reaching voters and reaching enough voters to to win a very politically active district that turns out to vote time and time again with our message and our platform that we're running on. But the the persuasion that people are probably anticipating is is not as high because people are ready for change. And it's just a matter of getting in touch with them and saying, hey, there is a staunch progressive running, ready to fight, ready to go to work for you in Washington. This is the platform and we're, we're collecting those the, the votes. So I often ask these in red districts, but in this is a deeply blue district. I'm still curious, especially about the juxtaposition. What are the issues that are resonating the most in the district? Public safety is our number one issue. And our communities have been divested and defunded. And so we need things like housing for all, which is part of the Green New Deal. We need a living wage, we need jobs and job opportunity, but also schools and healthcare. We had a hospital close a couple of years ago and that really, really hurt the district. And that was done on my opponent's watch. And then as I said, when he was in the state house, he was in a very powerful position in the state house. He was chair of the appropriations committee and he defunded public schools and education is is something that is really important to the district and making sure that we get funding back into our public school system. Okay, Alexandra, um, I'll leave you on this hope uh, that if you win, please do not listen to democratic leadership. They're the same (laughs) people who tried to shame you and attack you now. Later, they will pretend to be your friends. They are not your friends, okay? That's all, you don't have to answer that one. That's just my word to the wise. AlexandraMHunt.com, Alexandra, thank you so much for joining us and for having the courage to put yourself out there and try to make a difference in the world. Thank you, thank you for having me on, I appreciate it. No problem.